Welcome to today's edition of the Bible Class. Our teacher, Dr. Kenneth C. Hill, is teaching from the New Testament book of John. You may send your questions by email through our website at whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Or you may mail your questions to the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Blutville, Tennessee, 37617. And now, here is Dr. Hill with today's lesson. Welcome to the Bible class. We continue with our study in the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 15, finishing up the chapter. I would call your attention to verse 25, um, beginning of verse 23, and come into verse 25 for some conversation. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. Remember, it is Christ that is showing them their sin. They don't wish to acknowledge it. They wish to acknowledge that they are righteous in and of themselves. Of course, they are not. Verse 25, But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, They hated me without a cause. I wanted to go to that verse 25, They hated me without a cause. This is written in their law. It's actually written in Psalms. In uh, Psalm 35, looking at verses 19 and 20, let them, or let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. And it's also found in another portion of Psalms, in Psalm 69, and in uh, verse 4 of Psalm 69, and we look there, they hate me without a cause, they that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head, they that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty, then I restored that which I took not away. Once again, a reference there in Psalm 69 of the uh, people who hate without a cause. Christ states in this verse and in this section of Scripture in chapter 15 that the world hates me, my followers are aliens in the world, the world will persecute my followers because you follow me, the persecutors do not know God, my words and my works rebuke them, and so therefore they stand against me without knowing me. And they stand without knowing you, they stand against you as well. This answers the question as to why you are not received in, on an equal footing with those who live the life of sinful pleasure 
even when you work at your job and you do a good job, even when you are a, an upstanding member of society, why are you not received and yet the drunkard is received and often promoted? The philanderer, the adulterer, uh, is uh, promoted over the godly person. Why is that? Well, it's because the world hates you because they hate your Father, which is in heaven. And that's exactly the situation that you find yourself in on a daily basis. And Christ is warning his disciples as they walk from the upper room to the garden of Gethsemane. He's telling them this. He spoke about his love. He spoke about the fact that they're in Christ. And he spoke about the persecution that they and you would be receiving. It is for no reason except for the fact that Jesus is the very Christ and a Christian always, always shines the light of Christ on the non-believer, on the unbeliever, on the lost person, and it makes the lost person antsy. It makes the lost person feel like they're lost and they need to be saved. And instead of recognizing the lostness, embracing it in the proper way, and coming to faith in Christ and getting saved, they want to create problems for the person who knows Christ. There you go. It's pretty simple. It's not palatable, but it is simple to understand. They don't like you because you are better than they are in their sight. And in God's sight, you're not any better than anybody else. But in Christ, you are seen in the righteousness of Christ. But in the sight of the lost person, they don't like you because they know you're different. They don't like you because they know that you have salvation and you're going to have an eternity of glory with God Almighty and they're going to be damned for eternity. They do not want their sin to be seen, whereas a Christian acknowledges, confesses his or her sin, forsakes it, and puts it by God's grace. It is put, not by the sinner, but by God himself. It's put under the blood of Christ. Finishing up on chapter 15, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send you unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. This is a reference once again to the Advocate that we have beside us as we bear witness of Christ. Um, the Holy Spirit is like the Son of God in that uh, God the Holy Spirit came from God the Father. Um, the Son is begotten, whereas the Holy Spirit proceeds from God. So we know Christ as the only begotten Son of the Father. We know uh, God the Holy Spirit as proceeding from the Father. This is the Trinitarian relationship. If someone asks, do you believe in the Trinity? 
They're asking, do you believe in God as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Very God, and yet in three personalities. Now, looking at verse 26, this proceeding or this processing, let's look at the word. The word translated proceedeth continually proceeds is the way that it's presented. The eternal procession of the Spirit means that he continually proceeds from beside, not out of, the Father. It gets a little sticky here, so let's try to think about it as best we can. If the Holy Spirit came out of God, he would be less than God. So to be more specific, the Holy Spirit not only proceeds from the Father, but also from the Son, This means the Father and the Son continually send the Holy Spirit. This in no way suggests the Spirit is less in deity than are the Father or the Son. Instead, it explains the relationship among the three eternal persons of the Trinity. Just as Jesus came to do the will of the Father, so the Spirit is sent to speak not of himself, but of Christ. In this sense, the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father who has been given to every Christian. And if you look in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, or verse uh, 39 of chapter 2, in the book of Acts you see that being presented. And so this is a continual proceeding from the Father and from the Son. We have the Comforter, the Advocate in this life, whereas Christ is our Advocate with the Father, the Comforter is our Advocate in this life to show us all things and to teach us the things that Christ would have us to learn. Remember when we talk about fruit uh, among the the vine dressers and among the uh, vine and the branches, we're talking about fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. So remember that, okay? Keep working toward that much fruit as, as the Lord allows. All right, uh, verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 16. Let's go to uh, chapter 16. John chapter 16. These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that they doeth, that he doeth God service. These things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, Whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Here Christ is teaching them so that they are warned of persecution so it does not happen to them without their understanding. This thing of whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God service of course came true very vividly with the apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus as he was persecuting the early church. It also, of course, comes true um, in the strictest sense when 
uh, Caiaphas and Ananias and, and the Sanhedrin decide that uh, they will capture Christ, which they'll do this night that we're talking about, and they will crucify him. Um, they used as a pretext that they were doing God's business, even though we know that they knew in their hearts that they were going to kill one man, execute one man, that is Christ Jesus, uh, so that they could save their position of power. How sad it is, but how true it is, even to this very day, that people will sacrifice human life to maintain position and power. How sad, how sad it is. And so Christ teaches his disciples on the way to the garden. And he says, your heart is filled with sorrow. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, verse 7, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. We stop there for just a moment. We come back to that because he's going to tell them when they can bear it and they can bear it when the comforters come. Um, let's look at the word conviction there in chapter 16 and verse 8. Uh, and when he is come, that is, the Comforter is come, that is, the Holy Spirit is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. When he reproves the world of sin... He is convicting the world of sin. The word conviction embraces a number of expressions used in Scripture. Originally, it was derived from two Latin words, meaning cause to see, meaning you were convicted in that you were forced to see or made to see your error of your ways. It caused you to understand the truth. The New Testament uses the terms reproof, conviction, and illumination to communicate the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whereby he causes the individual to see or understand the truth. And so reprove or convict or illuminate would all be welcome in this passage. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, many who had no prior conviction or understanding of their sin were convicted by the Holy Spirit, which led to their salvation. Thousands added at one time to the church. Christians today should also depend upon the ministry of the Holy Spirit to help them understand truth and then to respond according to to the truth that is given. The work of the Holy Spirit points out faults and errors. 
expose something as it really is, shows you that sin is sin. The Holy Spirit reproves concerning three topics, sin, the Holy Spirit reveals the need of redemption because they believe not on me. The greatest sin is unbelief, while the greatest work is belief. Righteousness, the Holy Spirit reveals the possibility of redemption. Christ goes to the Father after a righteous life and a death that will impute this righteousness to others. And so the Holy Spirit reproves concerning sin concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. The Holy Spirit reveals the reality of redemption because the prince of this world is judged. The power of Christ to judge Satan and to overthrow the kingdom of Satan is not future, but it's seen at the cross and the resurrection. It has been judged at the cross. The prince of this world has been judged as well. And so when we look at the work of the Holy Spirit, he reproves the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The prince of this world is presently judged. Going on to verse 12 of chapter 16, I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore, said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. Here, Christ is speaking of the personality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, equal with the Father and the Son. He is God, the Holy Spirit. He is equal with the Father and Son in essence, separate in person, submissive in duties. One major aspect of God's nature is that He is a person, so it follows that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Scriptures clarify this by ascribing the attributes of personality to the Holy Spirit, addressing Him as a person, describing the personal actions of the Holy Spirit, and ascribing masculine pronouns to the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira lost their lives in a foolish attempt to deceive the Holy Spirit. This was because he is a divine person who is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Because he's God, the Holy Spirit is worthy of receiving believers' adoration, love, and worship. Also, the Christian can engage in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And we see this in the passage of Scripture that we're studying in John 14, 15 and 16. And so we find it to be very true that we can fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And so the truth is revealed by the Holy Spirit of God and revealed to us. It is a wonderful thing where we can and when we can sit 
with the Word of God, the written Word of God before us, as here in John chapter 17 or 16 at this point, going into 17 shortly. But we can sit here and we can study John chapter 16 or any other passage of Scripture, and we have the author of the Word of God, God himself, God the Holy Spirit, dwelling within us, fellowshipping with us, and teaching us directly from the Word. How amazing is that? How exciting is that? When we understand that God the Holy Spirit teaches us, and he is the author of the text. Wow. If I had been in college with the author of the text, and I was once or twice, I always listened more intently and more carefully, knowing that the author of the text that was used in the class was among us, was teaching us. And so it should be as we study the Word, realizing that as a follower of Jesus Christ, we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is teaching us as we study the Word. Thank you for joining us today for this edition of the Bible Class with Dr. Kenneth C. Hill. You may reach us by email by going to our website, whcbradio.org, and sending us an email on the Contact Us link. That's whcbradio.org. If you prefer to use the Postal Service, our address is the Bible Class, WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. That's the Bible Class, care of WHCB, Post Office Box 5, Bluntville, Tennessee, 37617. You may also call us at 423-878-6279. Until our next Bible Class program, we are trusting that the Lord will richly bless you as you serve Him.